and I, I know what the problem is. I kind of know what the solution is. I'm just going to go ahead and start building. And I'm a tech person. So like for me, being in the basement somewhere, just coding away is powerful. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week on the show, we have David Mark. He is a founder of a company called Brokit, which he's gonna tell you all about, but he's also the creator of a charity called The Back Home Project, which helps teach people in Nigeria IT skills. It's pretty cool. Uh, but less about me, more about you. So look, uh, so tell me, so where are you from? What are you up to? Well, I'm from London, so I'm not sure how far back you wanna go, but I was born in Nigeria. I moved over here when I was seven, and then um, sort of a year ago, I decided to start my own business. And then it's around insurance broking, so helping insurance brokers to be more efficient. And then the other thing I do is run a charity, as you said. So yeah, pretty cool CV there. So tell me, let's go, let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about first of all about let's talk about Brokit. So were you? What does it do? What does what does Brokit do? So we work in commercial insurance, and when you apply for insur- commercial insurance. You tend to have to go through a long application process. Who's, who's you? Is it like? Uh, okay, so like, um, like a business owner like me or you. Okay. Um, and then the process involves having a conversation with a broker. So you have a chat with a broker or alternatively, they send you a PDF form. And in some cases, you have to like download this PDF form, fill it out manually, sign it, scan it back in and send it back to the broker. I literally fall asleep just even thinking yeah. about that. So I think for me, that's, it's just like, it's just so manual. And then what we're trying to do is like digitalize this entire process. So having an online form where, where you can complete it and then just making the entire process digital. That's cool. And so did you, we, I mean, look, that sounds like an obvious progression that should be happening. Begs the question, why the fuck isn't that happening already? But also like, how, how were you in insurance before? Um, no, so I'm actually from a tech background. Okay. Yeah, so um, when I started this process, I had very little insurance knowledge. And then the way I actually came across the idea was I did a hackathon. So I'm not sure if you've ever done a hackathon. Nope. Okay, cool. Yeah, what were you doing a hackathon for? So it was an insurance hackathon. And then, so personally, I just absolutely love hackathons because for me, it's kind of like a startup in a micro, like in a micro system. So you have 48 hours where you join a team of strangers. And in that 48 hours, you have to solve a problem. So you come up with a business idea, you then come up with a demo for it, and then you then pitch it. And this happens in 48 hours. So it's so intense. So like, you're creating that product from nothing to something uh, yeah from working like, prototype no to like yeah to working prototype or well, not working prototype but like a, something you can demo okay in 48 hours amazing and what did you what was your hackathon what were you doing um, so it's around commercial insurance the space i'm looking at obviously okay and um yeah so i, I created well i joined a team of people and then my team was mostly insurance brokers and then some of the problems were just telling us was just like wow this is like this really good technology out there that solves this problem so i think from that, like from doing the hackathon, it kind of inspired me to just start my own startup. Amazing. Okay, so who was the hackathon for? Who were you with? It was organized by Allianz. Oh, so they're one so, of the yeah. biggest insurers in the yeah, world. Yeah, like, okay. yeah. So once you've, you've done that little gig with, you know, you've done a hackathon with like four or five people and you realize this is a problem, how did you go and then figure out that it was a big enough problem to go and solve it? So I think for me, like, I was like, okay, do you know what? I really want to do my own startup at some point. So the next stage for me was just saving up. So I worked for like a year and a half where I was saving up. And then I was like, all right, this is the moment. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to start my own startup. And I think I came into it the wrong way. So like, so I think, I think it was just like, so what I did was I was like, I've got an idea. I know what the problem is. I kind of know what the solution is. I'm just going to go ahead and start building. And I'm a tech person. So like for me, being in the basement somewhere, just coding away is paradise, right? So, you know, it's like paradise. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so, so, so I just went off and like side coding and side building a product. And um 
the good thing was I did a course by um, organized by Seed Ready. So Seed Ready is an organization that's based in London, but they help early stage founders by giving them training. And the training really helped me to realize that I needed to just stop coding and like actually go out and talk to people. And there's another great book called The Mom Test. I'm not sure if you've read it. You mentioned it earlier, um, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, it's an amazing book because it tells you how to go out and actually do these conversations. And the whole idea is you don't go pitching your idea. You just ask people about their problems and then they tell you about their problems. And by doing that, you can actually work out what a solution is to their problems. So it kind of like meant I had to go back to the drawing board, actually go and talk to people. And then by doing that, I kind of realized that, yes, this actually is a problem, but also it helped me transform my idea to be what it is right now. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's really interesting. You said something really interesting about how you decided to be, do this, this gig and launch the company yourself. Because I think you're in a similar boat to a lot of people where, you know, I would say that a startup usually begins by one or two phrases. Wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be better if? Wouldn't it be better if I could order a phone on my, uh, order a captured on my phone? Wouldn't it be cool if I could rent out my room to strangers and Airbnb's one, right? But you knew that you wanted to be a founder. You knew you wanted to start your own business, but you were different. You were like, I know I want to be a founder, but I don't have the, I'm not in a commercial position to do it. So your focus was on like getting yourself, I guess, like founder ready by like getting enough money to, to go and do it when the idea turned up. And do you think that, do you think you even needed the idea? Do you think you just, sooner or later, you would have just, just pulled the trigger on anything? Yeah. I, re I really hope so. I'm not sure, but I yeah. really hope so. But I think, um, so I think for me, it was just more, I think, so just by doing the hackathons, it kind of made me realize that this is like, I really enjoyed it and it's something I wanted to do. And then I think after that, it was more like setting the conditions in order for me to be able to do that. So save enough money so I could bootstrap myself, but also um, coming up with an idea and like the right idea. I think, I think people focus a lot on coming up with the right idea. But I think if you just talk to people and then you hear people's problems, you, it's really easy to come up with ideas in that way. So The Mom Test is a great book because I think if you're struggling to come up with an idea, just read that book and then, then go and talk to people and then ideas will just be popping so at you. So what's the concept? So how did you go, what, to help us understand, so what were you doing when you were going finding these people? First of all, what people are you finding like to, to have this conversation with? So my target market is insurance brokers. Okay. So for me, it was going on LinkedIn and like just, um, so it was actually a lot of cold outreach. So just connecting with people on LinkedIn and be like, Hey, hi, um, I'm really interested in finding more about this space. Do you have like some time to do a quick 20 minutes or half an hour call? And I was actually really surprised because I think people are really willing to help you out. Yeah. So especially if you're like, you're like, Hey, I'm coming in here. I want to learn about what you guys do and hopefully help you guys solve some of your challenges. People are just really willing to help you out. I mean, no one's going to, I mean, look, no one doesn't like feeling like an expert, right? So if someone's <laughs> going out and be like, hey, can I ask your advice? You're like, yeah, but I'll happily talk about myself for an hour. You know, I think that's a good point. Also, like if someone doesn't reply to you, so what? Uh, yeah. Like if rejection doesn't hurt, if no one replies to you, so what? You don't know these people. I think that's a great attitude. So I think, I mean, for me, it took me a while to develop the attitude because I'm like, and then I'll say again, I'm like a tech person. So like okay. basements are like nice places, like nice glue of the screen. That's yeah. like perfect for me. So just going out and reaching to, out to people actually takes a lot of effort and like you have to like force yourself almost to do it. But I think by doing that, you just learn so much. And then I think if you're building a product or just doing a startup, you just need to be out there talking to people. So 100% yes. you need to do it. I mean, we have so many people that come on the show and they're, 
the single piece of advice is always like talk to your customers because it's so easy, particularly we see it in developers actually, where they sort of put themselves in that microcosm where they're like, yeah, I know what these people want. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to build it. And then you realize, oh, that's actually not actually what they want. Yeah, you've already been through that. It's interesting as well because starting a company as a developer is, you know, I've seen this, there's sort of two schools. You've either got, um, I'm a classic sales founder. Yeah, 100%. I, and I couldn't code for Toffee. You know, like I, if I do an if statement, I'm giving myself a high five, right, on Excel. And then you've got the, the techies who are, who are who, who starting companies as well. But they find the other side. So like, you know, for me going out and speaking to people and that rejection is it's not a problem. But for, pe- for people like yourself, like developing is the, the bread and butter. That's where you want to be. And then going out and speaking to people is hard. So who were the first people that you brought on the journey with you? Did you identify some of the gaps you had in your skills and then bring them in? Or are you just on your own still? So I'm still a, still a founder. And then I think, I think you make an interesting point, which is like, I think as a fast start founder, you kind of need... Every startup kind of needs, I think, three skill sets. Okay. So you kind of need a sales skill set. You kind of need a, like the tech skill set or like someone building a product skill set. And you also need the kind of like organizational skill set to make sure you can actually manage people and like you can actually grow and do all the other stuff. So because um, being a startup founder, like you, actually, you have to do the boring stuff, like sign documents, fill out forms. So like, yeah, 100%. So you're doing everything on your own right now? Uh, yeah. So I think... I think the way I like to say is that like, I think as a star founder, you kind of need to stretch yourself. Yeah. So there's, there's an area which I'm really comfortable and really good at. And then that's kind of like your skill set, your bread and butter, and you can do that easily. But you also need to be able to do the other stuff. So the way I like to think of it is kind of like a T-shape. So you need to be able to like have some depth somewhere, but you also need to be able to do the breadth and cover everything else too. So, so what's the plan? I mean, how, how long are you going to sustain this for when you're doing it on your own? Um, well, as long as I need to, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so like, so we've actually started growing now. So, um, but we actually grew on the tech side. So we've got like three tech interns now, and then hopefully we're going to probably get someone on the sales and marketing side soon. In the current climate, marketing is hard, but do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favorite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Amazing. So how's it gone in terms of traction? So have you started to get, because of all these conversations you had early on, where you're like, hey, you know, what kind of promise do you have? You know, if I built this, would it be interesting? Are they now customers or people who were prospective customers? Um, yeah. So currently we've got like one customer and then we're working with three other people who are like a pretty late stage with them. So hopefully we'll be, they'll be customers soon. But yeah, that's where we are right now. That's sensational that you managed to win your first customer and build your own product. But, and I, I, think, I think that's probably the hardest bit is getting that first customer. Yeah, of course. Because like it's, and then I think because we do B2B, so B2B is Doing a corporate sale is just like, I, I mean, you probably know more about this and you can probably tell me a lot more about this. But like, for me, it was the kind of like challenging with that to learn and then grow in. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the big lesson there is that, you know, you have, there are so many more people you have to convince in the process than you realize, you know, and it's a mistake to think you should be selling to the most senior person because they don't really care about what you're doing. Like, you know, you're... The most senior person at the bank, uh, sorry, at the insurance company probably doesn't care about what you're doing. Ultimately, it has an effect, but how they do it doesn't matter. And the person at the bottom who has a problem for every day doesn't have the capability to make a decision on it. And so you're really aiming for that middle layer, okay? Um, and it won't be just one person. It'll be, okay, yeah, I've got the budget for this, but then I need to go to IT to get that signed off. And then I need to go to my boss. And it just goes on forever. And then the rule is typically it's seven people. 
you know, seven people you have to sell to to get a deal. And that's I'm, I'm, I'm planning to learn that now. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it takes a it takes a long time, and always, always double the amount of time you think it's going to take to close that deal. Always, if you think it's going to take three months, it will take six. It can take forever because you're not a priority for them. You know, their day job is their priority. Yeah, yes, it will be valuable to them, but trying to create urgency is one of the hardest things in sales. Anyway, so you um. But congrats. I mean, that's sensational to be able to achieve that entirely on your own. So moving on from Broke It, you have this charity. So tell me about it. Cool. So it's a charity and it's called The Back Home Project. The Back and, Home Project. Yeah. And then what we're aiming to do is teach coding in Nigeria. And it's actually a really funny story how I came up with the idea. I want to hear it. I was on holiday with my girlfriend in Germany. And I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. So I came back to bed and like, I just had this massive bolt of inspiration. So like, I just like, I was just like, oh my, you know when everything just comes together in one crystal clear moment? No. Nope. It was like that scale. <laughs> it, was like, it was like that. And then it was, yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other stuff that led into it. So I've been teaching coding to friends and family for years. And then I've also previously been a trustee for charity. So, but it all just crystallized in one moment. And I just remember being like, I, like, I think it's probably one of the most inspired and like I've been in my life. But at the same time, I was really, really annoyed because I was like, there's no way I'm going to go back to bed again. There's no way I'm going to sleep tonight. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but it was, it was really amazing. And, um, yeah, so that's how I came up with the idea. So, what was the idea? Um, so, yeah. So, it was going to be it's teaching coding in Nigeria. So, how, how, so, just to help me out. So, when you say teaching coding in Nigeria, so how do you go about, like, that, sound, that sounds great from, like, a, like a headline. Of course, I mean, I, I, sounds like a really sensible thing to do. But how do you actually go about making that happen? Quite a lot of work. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> um, so our kind of like plan is that we want to teach coding in Nigeria. And then the way we want to do is we want to set up a school in Nigeria and actually employ teachers in Nigeria to teach the coding. And our kind of the concept that we work with is that like anyone with a bit of coding knowledge can teach. So we, we believe like as soon as you know how to code, and then that's probably after learning for like a year, you'll be able to teach someone else because it's actually... In my opinion, it's not that hard to learn how to code, okay? I mean, some people might disagree, but in my opinion, it's not that hard. Easy to learn, um, hard to master. Uh, yes, I think that's what it is. Um, and then, so the way we're going to keep the quality in the system is we're going to get volunteers from the UK to help out. So I've got like a great network of people that I know who know how to code and like have been working in the industry for ages. So we'll get them in as volunteers and then they'll be helping out the people that are learning in Nigeria. Amazing. So how many, how many schools are you in? Are you only um, so we're actually going to, we're starting this month. And then we're going to start with like one, two, two, and like 10 students. We're going to start tiny, but hopefully I'll find to grow this into like a big thing. I love this. I think it's such a great idea. And what do you, so you, you raise money to pay the teachers or are they volunteers? So yeah, so we raise money to pay the teachers in Nigeria. And then we have volunteers in the UK that like help out with their skills. That's amazing. Do you, do you like you doing it over Zoom and stuff or setting? So teachers going to be teaching in person. And then like, so part of the problem for us has just been COVID because it's been tricky to try and like organize an in-person teaching experience. Um, but hopefully like we'll be able to do that and then we'll have the teachers in person, but the volunteers like connection through Zoom. Amazing. Where's the, where's the, where's the first school? Where is it? It's a small town in Otipo, well, a small town in Nigeria called Otipo. So we're, so one of the key goals for us was like, um, when you have a look at like the aid and like the kind of charities that work in Nigeria, they tend to be focused on Lagos and Abuja, which are the two biggest cities. Um, but you don't really have much outside of that. And it's kind of like, imagine just like everything in London and Manchester, but like nothing else outside of London and Manchester. I can imagine that. that's what so, happens. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to be like, trying to go outside our bubble and try and be like across Nigeria. I love that. I think it's great. 
So what's what's next for Brokit? So you've got you've got a couple of uh, other developers in, and you brought the developers with it in. Why? Because you just wanted to to build more features. You wanted to make the product more robust. What was the reason? Um, yeah, so like definitely build more features and make it more robust. But I think right now, um, and this is like for the start on the start founders out there, you almost got a really good scheme called the Kickstarter scheme, where you can get in an intern like would work with you for um, six months and then they work part time and then government pays for all of that. So that's so for us, it was just like a perfect opportunity to get more people in. Yeah, sure. Okay. So what's the uh, what's the roadmap looking like for you guys? So what's what's next in terms of scale? Um, yeah, so definitely build out more features. So, I mean, that's a bit that gets me really excited. I'm like, yeah, gonna add a new feature. Um, but also, we're trying to get more customers and grow it that way. So, um, part of the part of the goals is to try and get up to ten customers. Amazing. Okay, and I mean that. I mean, look, that's that's incredible. Want to do it? So when you so let's let's talk more about you being as a sole founder entirely on your own. A lot of people will be listening and thinking that they can't do it on their own, you know, and I'm like, there's no way I could start a business on my own. I couldn't do it. Like I was, I'm a sole founder, but then I employed Andy, who who works for us after like, like two weeks. You know I, mean? I was like, <laughs> I can do anything. And like, and that was literally just to like design a deck. He was mad. Um, and we had, yeah. And, but, but you managed to go, you've been there for about a year. So you've been there for a year, like on your own. I mean, that's sensational. And a lot of people will be really inspired by that because people always think that you need to have someone else. They may not know a co-founder or someone else to do it with. So what are the key lessons that you've learned over the course of this year about being a, a sole founder that you wish that you had known at the very beginning? So I'll, I'll say there's a few things. So one of them is like just finding the right mentors and like organizations to help you. Because I think as a sole founder, you just have to do so much. And then you obviously don't have the skills or like, you do, so you need to learn. And then the best way to learn is either true mentors or like, for example, other organizations that help startup founders. And then I think right now is a great time because there's a great startup ecosystem in the UK. So it's very easy to find organizations that would help you out for free. They'll either give you free training or give you free advice. So that's really good. Um, and then I'll say the second one is just, um, it's more around um, managing your time. So I think one thing is like this kind of a like a stereotype for startup founders is like you need to be working twelve hours a day. You need to be like getting all this stuff and like doing so much work. And I really believe as a startup founder, it's very similar to art. You kind of need inspiration. You kind of and then in order to get that, you need the headspace to get inspiration. So I think also just making sure that you have time to yourself and then you're not just working like flat out. You do have the time to stand back and then look at the big picture and like actually be creative. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So what do you do to chill out? What do you do to get your head out of the game? Because if you're a sole founder, you've got a lot of stuff going on in your head at one time. Like, how do you escape from it all? Um, so probably somewhere, something along you guys' lines, I play games. So like, techie again, like, you know, so playing go. games is like absolutely amazing What's for me. your game? Um, right now is Civilization Six. Oh, mate, so, what a yeah, game. It's like, you know, it's like... <laughs> what, what, I mean, I love that game. Finally, somebody plays a game I like. So yeah, it's a great game. But also just doing stuff like going for walks and then just making sure like I build into my daily schedule, like having a daily walk or having a run or something like that. But that's great. A great way to a great way to uh, relax. So are you so you're going to bring on someone in sales and you're hoping to get 10 by the end of the year. Is the plan to 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 raise some money? You're going to raise some money so you can super scale. Is this a global opportunity? So right now, like we're completely bootstrapped and then that means I'm paying the bills, right? Yeah. Um, but in the future, yeah, we're looking to like raise some money in the future. So um, I don't think it's going to be in the short term, but definitely when we get attraction and when we get to like, hitting the 10 customers, I think 
now the right moment for us to scale up. And they'll be paying customers, right? So uh, yeah. the best the best way to do it. Great. Okay. So a couple of questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show. Number one, what was the biggest mistake you've made in this first year um, that you hope that no one else makes? Why don't we talk about it is you need to talk to customers. That's it, right? So yeah, 100%, like you definitely need to go out there and like be speaking to your customers and then there's no two ways around it. How much time, what was the, what was the point that made you realize you needed to speak to your customers? I think so. I did a course by Sid Ready and then Sid Ready is an organization in London that helps and that provides training to startup founders. So just by doing that, I kind of realized the importance of it. Yeah. And then before that, I was just there, just coding away and being like, yeah, like, you know, I don't need to speak to customers. Yeah. I know what their problems are. And yeah. then Sid Ready really taught me that, yeah, you need to go out there and talk to them. Great. Good advice. And um, I guess you might have already touched on it, but what's your one piece of advice you give to every founder? I'd say relax. That's probably the... <laughs> um, so I think, I think just being a founder, there's just like so much to do. And then there can be a lot of stress. So then you're just remembering to relax and then, you know, take it easy. Like, you know, well, not take it easy, but like realize that like there's only so much you can get done in a day. And then if you're even just a little bit closer to your goal at the end of the day, that's a successful day. I 100% agree with that. So then one thing on that that I will ask you, which is an important one, like when you are a, a sole founder, like productivity is everything. Like, you know, so you have to make sure that when you are using that time, you're using it to the best of your ability. And I always find that it's something that a lot of founders struggle with is being productive, but you find that successful founders are the most productive people you ever meet. Yeah. And so what would be your tips around productivity and ensuring that you remain productive? So, so right now, what I'm really struggling with is context switching. And then I actually got some really good advice from people because I mean, after context switch between coding and then doing sales and like doing the other stuff. So, um, so the really good advice I got was try and block out time. So be like, hey, between this time period, I'm going to do coding and nothing else but coding within this time period. So it could be like a morning, it could be a day, but just blocking out like your time to make sure that you have the time to do what you need to do. Um, and then my other productivity tip, which is probably a, like a fun one is my keyboard. So, okay. Yeah. So my, like I go on about this to my girlfriend and like, she just looks at me like I'm crazy. Okay. But um, I've got a special custom keyboard. And then for example, it's got additional keys for your tongue. Because when you think about it, like, I mean, on a phone, your, your tongues can do everything on a phone. But on a regular keyboard, you just get to give the space. So I've got this keyboard that's got like three keys for each time. And then I've like built it up from scratch, programmed it. So like it makes me super productive. So yeah. I I love it, mate. I mean, if that works, I love I love your custom keyboard. You're such a gamer. I love that. All right, great. Look, this has been amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, and thanks for inviting me. And I wish the best of luck with both um, Broken and with the uh, Back Home Project. Thank you.